Man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm geek because, man, I, I got to watch, watch a little football yesterday. I mean, you know, it was football nonetheless. I mean, but a week from tomorrow, the Titans' first game, and now Jadavion Clowney's here. I mean, woo, it's going to be awesome, right? I mean, a week from tomorrow. If you know me, you know I love all things football, including football movies. And one of the greatest football movies of all time is Remember the Titans, aptly named, right? Remember the Titans. And if you watch the movie, then you know that it is about the historic football program at T.C. Williams High School in Virginia, and uh, it is uh, based on a true story, and after years of segregation, uh, T.C. Williams had the very first integrated football team in the state of Virginia. A great story, a great, great, great thing happened, but the team was still divided. The team was still tense. They, uh, this was new, and they didn't know if they liked it, and so there was a lot of tension between them, and so they went to football camp, and their head coach, Coach Boone, played by Denzel Washington, if you'll remember, he, at football camp, gets the team up. He runs them through the woods early in the morning, and they end up in a cemetery. Now, all the guys are like, what are we doing in a cemetery? And it, if, you're in, if you remember the movie, he gave an incredible speech in that movie. I sort of wrote some of it down here because I wanted to remember it. Here's what he said in the midst of that cemetery, we early hours of the morning. He said, anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field fighting the same fight we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field was painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke and hot lead pouring through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen and you take a lesson from the dead because if we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Now, if you watched the movie, you know that was a turning point. The team began to come together. The team began to care for one another. The team began to love one another. And what was great is not only did it impact the team, but the community, the parents, the larger community looked in at what was happening to the team and they too began to love one another. They began to care for one another. They began to pull together. And so the team's actions inspired the community. Man, if we ever needed a reminder like that, today's it, isn't it? Because we look out and all we see is hate and division and violence and anarchy. And we see that and, and, and we see so much division. And if I could today, here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to get you up early in the morning, not take you on a run, but I'd love to get you up early in the morning and get on a plane and go to another battlefield. Not Gettysburg, but a battlefield called Calvary, where one man bled and died to redeem the souls of all who would believe in him from their captivity to sin. And then we had walked through this little garden into a, into a beautiful cemetery where there was a tomb that's empty. And it's empty because that's the tomb where they placed Jesus after he died on the cross, bled and died for the sins of those who would believe. And it's empty because he come back from the grave proving that he had, he had settled the justice of God. His, his wrath satisfied the, I mean, I'm sorry, his death satisfied the wrath and the justice of God, making it possible for us to be reunited with God and also because of that be reunited with men and women. That's what causes a division, right? And see, we know that, but the world doesn't know that. We've talked about this. The world doesn't know that. Most of the world, huge majority of the world doesn't believe that. They don't know that. And as a result, according to what I believe the Bible teaches, listen, uh, this is never going to go away until Jesus returns because that's our heart. That's our plight. That's where we go apart from God. That's where we go apart from following God. 
But here's what I do know. The world doesn't know that, and that's what the problem is, but the church does. The church is made up of those who are saved, those who are redeemed, those who believe in Jesus. And the church believes that, and we need to go back to the battlefield often to remember who we are and whose we are. Because if we can come together, if we love each other, if, if we show the love of Christ to each other, if we show we're reunited with God, we're reunited with one another, hopefully, just hopefully, the community will look in at that and be inspired to say, I want some of that. What is that all about? You know, we're in a series called uh, Verified. It's through the, the letter that John wrote. It's called First John. It's in one of his epistles. It means letter. He wrote a gospel. He also wrote the book of Revelation. But First, Second, Third John are epistles. They're letters that he wrote to churches. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit, which makes them, unlike a letter that I write today, which makes them absolute truth for all people. He wrote them to some churches in the first century, but they are still just as relevant and just as binding to you today, those who believe, because they're inspired by God. They're his absolute word. And he wrote this because what was happening, there was this toxic culture, very toxic culture. Christians always live in a toxic culture. There was this toxic culture, that, and there was this false teaching that invaded the church, and it was confusing people. It had confused many believers because they were looking at the culture, and the culture was so anti-Christ. The culture was so against Christ is what that means, right? Opposed to Christ. Uh, the teaching was confusing. You had to have this special knowledge that people were beginning to wonder, am I a Christian? I don't know if I'm a Christian. True believers were questioning their salvation. But then you also had these other people who were not believers, but they thought they were believers because uh, the toxic uh, teaching that invaded the church. And they, they had this false assurance. So John wrote to, to remind us who we are. He wrote to give us some tests to verify our faith so that those who are true believers would know they are and those who are posers would know they aren't. Now, up to this point in 1 John 1, all the way through 2.11, he's been given some very practical tests. I mean, he, he's hit them with some hard words. He's really been hitting posers, to be honest. He's, he's really been hitting those who claim to know him, but they really don't. He's given them tests like, if you say you know him, but you do not obey his commands, you're a liar. If you claim to know him, but you don't love your brothers, you don't love your sister, you're a liar. If you claim to know him, but you continue to walk in darkness, you're a liar. I mean, these are hard words. They're practical tests, but they're hard words. And so here's what John knows. I believe he's come, he comes to 2, verse 12, and in 12, 13, and 14, three verses are these parenthetical statement, really, because I believe he comes to that point, and he says, you know what? These are practical tests, but they're really hard words, and they can cause those who are believers, true believers, to begin to question, because he has said, like I said, he said some things like, if you claim to know him, yet you don't, do not obey, you're a liar, and Listen, Christians, no Christian is, is, is perfect, right? I mean, we, we all uh, have times when we don't obey all the time. I mean, if you don't love the brothers, then you don't really know him. And we can all say, man, I don't, I mean, I know three or four people I'd like to smack right now, right? I mean, I don't always love uh, people like I should. And he, so he, I think he, John gets to this point, the Holy Spirit says, you know what? These are practical but hard words, but so encourage the believer. Encourage the believer. I mean, give the believer some insurance and encouragement. And so then I believe that's what happens in 12 through 14. 12, 13, and 14, he's just assuring the believer. And here's what he's doing. He's really taking them back to the battlefield, and he's reminding them of who they are and whose they are because, listen, your identity, that's who you are. Your identity will determine your activity. 
You've heard me say, belief determines behavior. Doctrine determines duty, right? Your identity, who you are, will determine your activity. Identity determines activity. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. And so John takes them back, and he reminds them, true believers, reminds you today, who you are and whose you are because your identity will determine your activity. So let, let me dive in and, and read uh, the passage. It's in 1 John chapter 2, like I said, these three verses, 12, 13, and 14. He says, I'm writing to you, little children. John's very pastoral. Uh, he, you hear him say little children. At this time, John's an old man. He, he's at least 80, if not more. He's been following Jesus for 60, at least 60 years. He was Jesus's, widely known as Jesus' best friend, the one that, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus entrusted his mother to John. He's followed Jesus for a long time, and now he's a very pastoral, older than most anybody else in the church, and he is very pastoral, loves the believer, loves the church, and, and, and he writes with affection, my children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. You know him. You know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, back to children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, back to fathers, because you know who, him who is from the beginning. Second time he said that, right? I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Okay, so when you, when you read this, you see, here, here, here's what John does here. He basically, he talks to three, he, he names three specific groups of people, children, Young men, fathers. You see him named children, young men, fathers. Now, theologians, uh, great theologians, very, very, very well-respected, knowledgeable theologians have a couple of different thoughts on this. Some say that what John is doing is he's talking about chronological age. He's talking about children being young children. He's talking about young men, obviously, and then he's talking about older fathers would be older men. So he's, given, he's talking to three different chronological age groups. Our, children is full, our church is full of, of young children. There are children, some are in here today, some are in the, in the children's ministry, some are in the preschool ministry, full of young men, teenagers, college students, all that, and then older men, fathers. Uh, some theologians say, well, he's not really talking about chronological age. I think they, they think he's really more talking uh, to spiritual maturity levels, right? I mean, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what age you are. You can be eight years old or you can be 80. You're an infant in Christ at that moment, no matter what age you are. And then you crave the pure spiritual milk, and then you, you, you grow and you progress just like you do biologically. You, you, you mature into, at, at, in our world, an adolescent, uh, which is a new thing, to be quite honest, an adolescent, and then to uh, a, a father and to an old man. So some people say it's, it's levels of spiritual maturity. Some say, well, he, when he talks to little children here, he's talking about all believers, because that's the term he uses to refer to children through this letter. You hear him say, my little children, my little children, my dear children, through this letter. And so, therefore, he's talking to all believers, and then young men 
are people 40 and under. And that day, really, the, the church was divided. 40 and under were young men, young, young women, 40 and over 40 was old, older, older, I'll say, uh, men and women, all right? And so you fall in whatever category. By the way, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, this whole thing called adolescence that we have today, that's, that's really new in our world. It, it's, it's a little over 100 years old. You know, that was invented in 1904, don't you? But the psychological world invented adolescence in 1904. That's, that's not a biblical concept. Uh, I mean, you know, it was 40 and under were younger. And basically what we did uh, in, in adolescence, and you and I can understand that a little bit, but we had no way to define when a man become a man in our culture. And so what happened, we, we invented this thing called adolescence that allowed a, a young man to be a boy for a whole lot longer, which is not a great thing, Okay. Uh, and that's a whole different sermon. But, but so, uh, so, so there are different topics and thoughts on what he means here by children, young men, fathers. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to dive into, okay, let's break this down and figure out what he's talking about because well-trusted and respected theologians. And, and, and it really, the, the point here, uh, what I want to do is dive into what are the principles that help you understand who you are regardless if he's talking to chronological or, or spiritual stages of maturity or whatever. And here's what I think John is, is, is alluding to. Some of the things that John's alluding to here is he gives us, and I'm going to pull out three different things and there's obviously so much more in Scripture than I can ever pull out. But there are three different things that I want to focus on in this passage that, to help encourage true believers and give you some assurance if you're a true believer and encourage you. Because he's been hitting hard, right? And the first thing he says is, who are you? You are forgiven. Remember, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. That's so important. Because I, I think he puts this in here because he said things like, dear children, I write these things so that you might not sin. But he also goes on and says, you know, or before he says, if you claim to have no sin, you're a liar. Uh, worse yet, you make God a liar if you claim to have no sin. And so he said these things, and he, I know he's thinking probably that, you know, the, 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 this can be confusing to people. What I want you to know, dear children, is you're forgiven because, listen, no Christian lives sinless life. No Christian lives a sinless life. John even said, as I said, if you claim to have no sin, you are a liar. We do not live a sinless life. We should sin less, but we don't live a sinless life. We struggle. We do battle with sin. Now, we are broken free from the bondage of sin. Sin no longer dominates the believer. We'll talk about that in the last point. It no longer dominates us. We're broken free from the bondage, uh, from the penalty of sin. We, we're no longer under the power of sin, but we're in the presence of sin, and it dogs me, and it dogs you, and it dogs us daily. And here's what we do. When we lose battles with sin... Sometimes we can begin to go, am I really a believer? Why would I do that if I'm a believer? Especially maybe if you're younger in your faith. If I'm a believer, why would I do that? I, I don't know. And the enemy, you know, is all the time con, uh, accusing you, but you have an advocate, remember? But, but, but you begin to go, am I a believer? I mean, why would I do that if I'm a believer? So here's what John says. John says, hey, little children, I know you struggle. I know you do battle. I know sometimes lose. I want you to remember your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. That ought to change how you live. You are forgiven. When, you, when God forgives you, he forgives you forever. You're forgiven forever. I mean, when God saved you, he forgave you. He forgave your sins past. He forgave the sins you will commit tomorrow. That's mind-boggling to me to think about the fact that I don't have to I don't have to be condemned. I don't have to wallow in that because Paul is so sure that Paul said there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. The only way Paul could say that definitively, declaring it, not just, I hope we're not condemned when we die. 
Man, I hope when we get there, no, no, he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. The only way he could declare that is because you're forgiven. Your sins that you've committed, the sins that you will commit. God knows whatever sin you're going to commit, and he's forgiven it already. That's amazing to me. That's the grace of God. Now, some people would say, oh, Pat, you can't really talk about that because if you do, that'll just make people say, well, okay, God's forgiven it already. I'm just going to sin. No, 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 because a true believer says, I know that breaks the heart of God, and I want to run from it. I don't want to break the, the heart of my father because I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven, right? And, and, and so you, you got to enter into to this, you know, some people call it, are, are you once saved, always saved? And all, all this stuff. Here's the question. Here's the reality. If you're a true believer in Jesus, here's what John said in his gospel. Jesus said that if you believe in him, right, all that the Father gives to him will come to him. And here's what Jesus says, I will lose none that the Father give me. I will lose none. Now, does that mean every Christian walks with the Lord on cloud nine and, I mean, every day? No. There's a time in my life when I was in rebellion. I'm going to tell you, there was a time, there might have been a time in your life when you were in rebellion. I hope if you haven't had that yet, you don't do that. Okay, but there was a time in my life when I was in rebellion, and you say, okay, well, I thought that person was a Christian. Man, they were involved in church, now they're not. And you say, are they a believer? Well, I mean, that's between them and the Lord, but we got to wait and see, don't we? We've got to wait and see. I mean, because if they are, they're going to come back because they're under conviction. If they don't ever come back, they probably were not a true believer in the Lord, okay? Because your sins are forgiven. Now, some people would say, you know, but I, but I do this and, 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 and because we trust grace for salvation, but then we have a tendency to go back and rely on works to be loved by God and to be right with God. Well, I did that. God must be unhappy with me, and, 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 and I did that, so am I a believer? And here, so here's what he says. You're forgiven, not for your name's sake, you're forgiven for Jesus' name's sake. You're forgiven for his name's sake. You see, you weren't saved and forgiven because of anything you did. You weren't saved and forgiven because you deserved it. It wasn't because you were good. You were saved and forgiven because of what Jesus did. It wasn't to make your name great. It was to make his name great. It wasn't because you were good. It's because he is good. And the world, he saved you so that the world would see you just like the community saw T.C. Williams High School and said, man, I don't know what they got. The world would see you and say, what does he have? I want some of that because that's different. You see, it makes Jesus' name look good. It doesn't say, oh, man, he's good. Jesus is good. And so, therefore, it's sure. If you were saved because of anything you did, then you could lose it because of something you did. But you're not. It's not for your name. It's for his name. It's for his name. That ought to make you go, oh, my God. I've got to shout that. Listen, John Newton, he realized this. And when John Newton realized this, John Newton realized, whoa, wait a minute. I, I, I'm forgiven forever. It's for grace of God that forgave me, not my work. And I'm forgiven forever. When I'm saved, when God saved me, he forgave me. And he, it made him so pumped up, he wrote this little, little lyric. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, it just caused him to burst forth. Because here's the thing, God doesn't save good people, folks. That's the great news for all of us, isn't it? If God saved good people, I wouldn't be saved. He doesn't save good people. You know who he saved? He saves wicked wretches like me. That's who he saves, and he forgives, and his forgiveness is forever. Man, that ought to make you go, I mean, wow, that ought to make you just like, I mean, make your neighbors hear you scream when you think about that. That's awesome. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. He says, hey, little children, don't, 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 don't be confused. You're forgiven. Know who you are. 
Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. Your identity will determine your activity. You're forgiven. The sin you committed last night, if you're a believer, forgiven. The sin that you've been dragging with you for five years, 10 years, 20 years, you're forgiven. Let it go. You're forgiven. The sin that you'll commit tomorrow, when you confess it to God, thank him because you're already forgiven. You're forgiven. That ought, to, that ought to make you go, whoa, man, I'm forgiven. Remember who you are. You're forgiven. And then he says, remember you know him. Now, we talked about this week one, didn't we? Because John said, these things that we write to you, we, we write to you, uh, and who's writing? We're writing. We, we've seen it. We've felt it. We've touched it. We've heard it. In other words, I know him. I know him. I don't just know about him. Remember, we talked about this, the difference of knowing Michael Jordan and knowing about Michael Jordan. And, and he says, we know him. And the word used for know is a derivative of the, the word used for Adam when Adam knew Eve and she conceived. So obviously, it's talking about intimacy. It's not just knowing information. It's about intimacy. It's about walking with God, abiding in God, abiding in Christ being devoted to Christ, remaining in him. Uh, all of these are words that says, man, we got relationship. Now, here's the thing. Man, we know him, and when we read, read the Bible, and when we study through our devotion, here, here's what we learn. We learn so many great things about God. We learn that God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. We learn he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows everything. God's all-powerful. He knows everything. He's everywhere. You can't go anywhere where he's not. Man, we know, therefore, when Travis wrote a song called You Hold It All, we sing You Hold It All. Because, man, uh, when we look at this crazy, crazy world of ours and we go, it is a crazy, crazy world, what we know is you hold it all, God. Right? We, we know that. We know God hangs on to us. God will never let us go. God loves us. God's merciful. We know all these things, but let me be honest with you. It, I, I don't feel like I'm sitting in God's lap all the time, do you? I mean, I don't feel like he and I are strolling on the beach all the time. Sometimes I feel like he's distant. Sometimes I feel like, I, I know you, God, but I don't feel you. And so therefore, we can begin to say, uh, am I really a believer? Would I feel distant if I don't know him? Would, would, would I, would, would I, if, if I knew him, why would, I, why would it not just be like, a man, I'm sitting in his lap. We're sitting on the porch. We're walking on the beach all the time. And if you notice here what John does, he writes, and when he says, I'm writing to you fathers, because you've known, him from the, who, you've known him who was from the beginning. Now, I, I think it's interesting that it says, I'm writing to you fathers, whether it's older men or whether it's just more spiritually mature men, because here's, here's, here's I, I think, something that we can glean from this. If you've been around someone who's walked with Jesus for years, they know Jesus. I'm not talking the cultural Christianity walk with Jesus. You know, they got the Sunday school. I'm talking about you find somebody who's walked with Jesus for years, and man, I just love sitting and talking because they know Jesus. They, they, sure, they know about him. I mean, sure, they know the Bible studies. They can give you the Sunday school answers. They can give you Bible knowledge. But here's what they know. They got experiential knowledge. You see, they, they, they've been in the valleys and they've, they've come through those valleys. You see, they, they've, they've experienced loss. Maybe it's a loss of a spouse. Maybe they've seen their child or their children walk in rebellion, you know, be the, the rebellious child. They've seen the world on the verge of collapse and thought, there's no way. It's, I mean, there's no way we're coming back from this. I mean, they've been in the valleys and, and, and many, many times, and they've seen God bring them through those valleys. You see, they know him. They know him. 
They know he holds it all, and they can declare that with assurance. And when they're in the midst of a valley, they have a different kind of assurance because they know him. You see, I tell our young pastors all the time as I train them and as I pour into them and as I mentor our young pastors on staff and other young pastors, I, 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 I train them all the time. And here's what I tell them. You can buy an education. You can buy tools that will help you be a better pastor. You can buy tools for ministry. You can buy a lot of things, but let me tell you something you cannot buy. You cannot buy experience. You can't buy experience. You have to live it. You have to, you have to put your time in, right? You have to put your time in to know how to make a decision. You have to put your time in to understand. And listen, folks, older folks that have walked with Jesus, man, they put their time in. You, you can't expect, you know, like kids today, they get married and they want the same house and they want, call, they want everything their parents have got that their parents worked years for. And, I mean, sometimes we as believers are like, man, I want that. I want, I want that. I, I can't have that kind of spiritual maturity right now. There, there is no fast track for spiritual growth, folks. There's no fast track for spiritual growth. It, it, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes abiding. It takes devotion to the word. It takes living and, and, and devotion to the word. And then when you get to know him, and here's what I promise. And I say this because I don't want you to tap out. And I think John's saying, hey, listen, listen, listen. Don't tap out when you don't feel it. Don't tap out when you don't feel it. You, you hang in. You don't tap out. You lean in. Get in the word. Be devoted. Be, be, be in relationship. You know him. You know him. Listen, you're forgiven, and you know him. And then, and then finally he says, you're victorious. He says, you've overcome the evil one. Oh, this is so awesome. Why? Because, well, first off, I don't feel victorious 24-7, do you? I mean, I don't always feel victorious. He says I'm victorious, but I don't always feel victorious because, you see, as I said earlier, we talked about earlier, I, I, I mean, man, I, I sin just like you sin, and you know what? I, I mean, there's some, some areas that I do really good in, but some areas, man, I lose the battle sometimes, don't you? I mean, see, we all have different weaknesses, and, and some of us are plagued with what's called besetting sins. Besetting sins are sins that, man, we just can't seem to shake, Right? I mean, man, we, we, we just can't seem to shake some things. I mean, it just dogs us. I mean, it's just like hanging on us like a cheap suit. We can't get rid of it. For some of you, it's pornography. For our lust. For others, it's gossip. For some, it's a misuse of money. I mean, you're not managing. You're not stewarding your money. You're not, you don't, you're not generous. You're not tithing. For others, it's just a complete fear. Man, you look at the world, and, and, and I mean, man, I, I, I need to trust God, but I'm just over, I'm, I'm, I'm consumed with fear. And I just can't seem to shake these things, no matter. I mean, it, there, there's all kind of besetting sins. And, and he, he, here's what happens. When we lose those battles, it's easy for us to, when we don't feel victorious 24-7 and lose battles like that, it's easy to go, I don't know if I'm a believer. And John says, look, you're, you're victorious. You have overcome the evil one. You, you've overcome the evil one. And, and, and what, listen, he, 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 here's what I want you to understand. If you're a true believer and you have a besetting sin, whatever that besetting sin is, maybe when you just sin or maybe it's a besetting sin, something that you do battle with uh, constantly, here's what I want you to stop and think of. When you do battle with that and, and you, you, you commit this sin and this weakness, here's what happens if you're a true believer. Man, you are remorseful about that. You hate that. I mean, the Spirit is convicting you. You're grieving the Spirit. It's what it's called. It's convicting you. He's convicting you. And here's what happens. You hate it. And you go to God and you plead, God, I'm sorry. Now, sometimes we need to remember, I'm forgiven. 
okay? But we go to God and we plead, that's a good thing. Conviction is a means of grace, folks. It's not a, we all, like I said, we all want forgiveness, but none of us really want to repent sometimes, but we want the forgiveness. And so when you feel bad about that, that ought to let you know, listen, the spirit lives with inside of me. It's convicting me. I used to just be okay with sinning and now I hate it. It's a means of grace that says, hey, you're a child of mine. You're forgiven. Stay in the battle. If you're fighting, here's what you need to understand. If you're fighting, dead men and women don't fight, folks. Dead men and women don't fight. And Paul said, you once were dead in your sins and transgresses. But now you've been made alive by the Spirit. Dead men don't fight. And if you're fighting, that's a great sign. That's a sign of life. Take it and remember, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Have you realized how many times that the word battle or war, this imagery of war is all in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, you're not saved just to coast on into heaven. Man, it's a battle. Put on the armor of God. Fight the good fight. The enemy's like a lion. He's roaming, looking for someone to devour. Folks, it's a fight. It's a fight. And here's what he says. You're victorious. You might lose the battle, but he's won the war. You're victorious. And why? Because of your own power? No, 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 no. No. You see, that's what happens when we look inside of us to see if we're a true believer. Then we say, we hear him say, oh, man, if you claim to know him and you're not obedient, and we say, I know I'm not obedient all the time. I, I, I wasn't obedient last night. I wasn't obedient this morning in some areas. I'm not obedient. I'm not obedient. If you claim to... To, to know him, but you don't love the brothers. And as I said, man, I, I, really, right now, when I watch TV, I want to smack somebody. I don't always love people like I should. And when you look inside yourself, you're like, oh, I'm not a believer. That can't be. But you don't look inside yourself. You look out to Christ. You see, you look out to Christ. It's his namesake, and he is the one that, that, that has won the war. You, you're in battle, but he's won the war, and you don't fight in your own power. He's given you the spirit of God and the word of God with inside of you. You've overcome the evil one. He says, children, children, I know. Listen, the culture you're in is toxic. It's anti-Christ. It is opposed to Christ. We'll talk more about victory in Christ in 1 John 5, okay? What the victorious life. We'll talk more about it then. But he says, oh, children, listen, I know that's a toxic world you live in down there in 2020 in America, all over the world. 2019 and 2025 will be no different if Jesus comes. It will be a toxic culture. It's going to be a toxic culture. I know you're in a toxic culture. I know there's false teachers all over the interweb that's telling you what to believe. And they're jacking you up, and they're literally confusing you. And he says, remember, remember, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. You know him, and you're, you're victorious. You've overcome the evil one for his name's sake. Remember that. Know who you are, because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. George Foreman, many, many, most of you know who George Foreman is from, from one area of his life or another. I mean, he does, he's, he does a lot of things well, right? I mean, he's a world heavyweight champion boxer. I mean, man, that, that, that takes a, an athlete to do that. I mean, uh, he boxed for years. I mean, old and he was still boxing, right? He's a TV personality. He's a grill guru. I mean, man, you, you know him. If you don't know him from boxing, you, you bought his grill just thinking this is a dude invented a grill, Right? I mean, there's many areas. I mean, he's good at a lot of things. He's also good at making babies. <laughs> Dude's got 12 kids, 12 kids, seven daughters, five boys, seven daughters and five boys. And get this, he named all five of his boys George. 
<laughs> and somebody said, why'd you name all five of your boys George? And he said, man, when you've been hitting the head as much as I have, you want to make things simple. <laughs> really, here's what he said. And he said that, but then really he came back and he, he said, you know what? I grew up without a daddy. I didn't know who I was. I wanted to name my, all of my boys George because I wanted them to know who their daddy is because I wanted them to know who they are. Because you see, when you know who you are, you know what to do, right? That's a pretty profound thing, isn't it? That's a pretty profound thing. When you know who your daddy is, when you know who you are, you know what to do. You know you're forgiven if you're a believer because you're a child of him. You know him. It's an intimate language. He's your father. You're his kid. He's a good father. He loves his kids. You know him. You're victorious because he's overcome. He's won the battle, and he's given you the victory. You have to fight every day, but the war's won. You've, you've overcome the evil one. No longer under the penalty of sin. No longer under the power of sin. The presence, yeah, it dogs you. It dogs you. But you've overcome. You're forgiven. You know him, and you've overcome. Know who you are because you'll live different. That'll help you love the brothers more. That'll help you obey. That'll help you stay in the fight. That will help you get up every day and, under, and, and, and get on your knees and say, God, in my power today, I will fail. Please help me to be surrendered to your spirit because it is in your spirit and in your word that I must fight every day, every day. Now, I want to leave you with one final word. You know, I, I said earlier, we, we, don't, we, we invented adolescence about 110 years ago, 116 years ago. 1904, actually. Go look it up. We invented adolescence. Now, here's the thing. If men in that day and women, 40 and under, 40 and over, here's what I want you to understand today, men. I want to challenge you because, you know, most men under 40 don't go to church today. Do you know that? Thank, thank the Lord we've got many here at LifePoint, and I want to challenge you. I'm watching online. I want to challenge you right here in the room. I want to challenge you to be faithful and be strong you can look at our world. The next generation depends upon you being faithful and strong. Depends on the Lord. Let me go back and backtrack. But the Lord will use your faithfulness to impact the world. Uh, be faithful to your Lord. Be strong in your Lord and be faithful to your church and strong in your church. Man, over 40, let me, let me say you are invaluable because you've got experience that all these young men need. Some of you have been married for 40 and 50 years. They need to see that. Some of you have been through a divorce, and man, what a, what a valuable experience that is. You're not disqualified. We need your experience, young, uh, older men and older women. We need Christians to stand strong, to know who they are, and to stand strong in a world that has no clue who it is. And that's what you're seeing going on in our world right now, a world where it appears that God's common grace is almost being pulled back, letting us run amok into ourselves. And we need strong believers to stay strong in the Lord and strong in their church and see what difference that makes in our world. See what difference it makes. And so today, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe, maybe through this series you've realized, man, I thought I was because I was baptized. I'm getting ready to, we're getting ready to baptize in just a moment. And when we baptize in the moment, it's not that water that's going to save anyone. You might have been baptized. That baptism didn't save you. You're saved because you were baptized as a symbol of your salvation. Listen, this church is not going to, joining this church is not going to save you. 
Your pastor is not going to save you. I, I'm not going to save you. Only Jesus. So you can go to a church. You can be baptized. You can join a church, and you can still be far from God. Some of you through this might, might, might have realized, I, I don't know him. And if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that right now, then I pray that you would submit to that and say, I want to know him. And text the word Jesus to 615-551-9800. In the room, you can do that, or you can come and see someone. We've got a connect booth right back in the back. They will help you get connected to Christ, connected in a small group, connected to what. Please don't delay. If you today are being convicted, I, I, I thought I did, but I don't know him, then text Jesus, the word Jesus, to 615-551-9800. Maybe you're a believer and you've been questioned, but you know, man, I, I, I'm forgiven. I know him. I'm victorious. And I pray that right now that you would say, God, I, I just, I, I want to know who I am more and more because knowing my identity will change my activity. What I believe will determine my behavior. The doctrine will determine my duty. And I pray that you would say, I, I, I don't want to play with this thing. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to hit it out of the park every time. You're going to strike out. You're going to fall down. But I pray that you would say, I'm going to be serious about my faith. I'm going to love my Lord, and I'm going to love my church, and I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love his people. And I want to get the attention of the world and share the gospel. Let's pray right now, can we? Father, Thank you for this letter that you gave to John. God, the Bible is your word. John wrote it, but God, it is your word. We as believers believe that. I know the world will look at it and say, oh, it's just men wrote it, women wrote it. And God, yes, with their hand they penned it, but it was your inspired word that they wrote down and nothing that you didn't inspire did they write. And God, because they, you wrote it, it's your word. It's good for them, it's good for us, and it'll be good for future generations because it's your word. And God, we trust it. We live by it. It is our absolute truth. We look out and we see a world right now that has no clue what absolute truth is, and therefore they make anything up, and therefore it is run amok. And God, I pray that we would surrender to your word. God, we see a world that doesn't know you. And God, because they don't know you, they can't be connected to each other. So we can just hate. A world without you can just be full of hate and malice and violence and division. But God, I pray, God, that you, that you would let your spirit fall, God, in your churches. I pray that your spirit would descend and that true believers, as you're writing, uh, you've written in 1 John, that true believers, God, would be serious about their faith, that they would love you so much, God, that they would walk and they would fight with your word and your spirit for your glory for your name's sake, that we would lay down all of our agenda and we would submit to your agenda and that we would see you do great things in this world. God, as I look through the book of Acts, I see your Holy Spirit descend on the day of Pentecost. And all through the book of Acts, your spirit is taking control. Your spirit is changing lives. Your spirit, God, it's your spirit and your spirit alone that does great things. And I pray that your spirit would, would absolutely consume this place. God, I pray that you would consume the hearts of men and women and boys and girls who know you and change us so that we make a change in this world, God. We allow you to change the world through us because we believe that we are forgiven, that we know you, and that we're victorious. I pray that we would get up every day dressed for battle, knowing that you have won, that we would not fight in our own power, but that we would fight with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 
and see you do great things. Save someone today, Jesus. Please save someone today. Thank you for the baptism in the first service. Thank you for the baptism that we're getting ready to experience now. A represent, a, a, a symbol of life that you gave. I pray that it would inspire many people today to say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. God, I love you. I thank you for this church. I pray that we would be faithful and true. We would stand before you one day and hear you say, well done. You remain strong. You remain faithful in a world run amok. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.